Welcome to Venture in the South, a podcast about startup investing in the southeastern United States. Our hosts are experienced angel investors with over 90 startup investments. We'll share some Southern wisdom while exposing you to the vibrant startups here in the South. Welcome to Venture in the South, a podcast about angel investing in the southeastern United States. Today, we are talking with Malay Shah. Malay is a longtime angel investor, maybe one of the longest running angel investors we have in the Southeast at this point. Highly experienced, knows a lot about angel investing in the area. Um, and uh, I am privileged to be able to spend some time picking Malay's brain on, on everything he knows about the subject. Malay, just to start things off, could you give the listeners a quick intro to you? Sure. Well, thanks for having me. Um, you know, I uh, my background and training is is engineering. Um, never actually engineered anything. I went straight into financial consulting. Um, did that for a couple of years. Came back and got my MBA. Um, worked in corporate America for a couple of years, doing a lot of project finance and financial modeling type work. Um, and then came back and really started. So I was an angel investor, just an investor starting right after the um, right after the collapse so right in the early 22 the early 2000s um, but it really wasn't until about a decade later around 2011 2012 when I became part of the management team for our local angel fund um, and really started to become a much more active investor got it um, how did that happen? You know, it's it's funny. It um it it really started with I just love being in a room with really smart, savvy, experienced entrepreneurs. Um, you know, it's it's a great feeling when you're the dumbest guy in the room, um, and you can still contribute every once in a while. Um, <laughs> that's 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 the perfect situation. That's where you want to be. So it was really with the entrepreneurs that you were most interested in that point, not the other angels or other. No, no, it's definitely the other or angels. With the, un- it was or the, the other, other angels. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Got it. There's obviously a lot of overlap between the entrepreneurs and angels right. over time, right? So it's a bit of both. Okay, so it was really the, the ability to learn from and contribute to that sort of group brain power that that excited you the most to start with. Absolutely, got it. Um, uh, and so um, obviously, starting just after the bust in the 2000s was probably a good time to be making some angel investments. Do you do, do you have a good track record from those early deals, or were those mostly learning to start with? How did that go? Um, I would say it's it's been a little bit of both. It's been across the spectrum, pretty much the 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 mix that you would expect from a larger angel investment portfolio, where you know we have a couple of of believe it or not IPOs, um, not many, um, all the way to our our typical you know crash and burn. Um, but our averages seem to be working out about right. Um, I would say our length or our time to realization, time to exit has been longer than the literature suggests. Mm-hmm. I think the literature is heavily, heavily weighted towards, you know, um, angel hotspots like California and, and New York. So maybe that's a Southeastern thing, or maybe it's just sort of, you know, where this is still a somewhat immature market, relatively mm-hmm. speaking. Okay, got it. Certainly could be geographical, it could be experiential in the Southeast. Do you think it might be something to do with the kind of industries that you target or not? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. No question. Uh, so you do know, you we, have a, given your engineering background and financial consulting, did, has that translated into your angel portfolio or are you all about med tech and crypto? 
Oh, no, absolutely not. Um, you know, I, I definitely admit and, and I'll, I'll confess that the really deep science projects are the ones that really get me excited, okay. um, mostly because I love the idea of taking something that's really complicated um, and finding out how it actually makes people's lives better. Uh, whether it's consumer or, or enterprise, it doesn't really matter. But I kind of like the idea of this is if we do it right, it's almost like magic. Hmm. Where where the customer doesn't even need to know all of the cool bells and whistles, they just need to know that their problem is solved. Um, those are those are the investments that I think I get most excited about. Okay, so hard stuff with deep science underpinning, ideally. So how do you get into a position to know what you're doing when you're looking at companies that are that difficult to understand as a as a generalist? Uh, I, I, you know, being part of an organized angel group is is absolutely essential. Uh, and so originally I was part of the Piedmont Angel Network that was based out of the, the Piedmont Triad. Um, the successor are, are sort of um, the next evolution of our angel investing in this area became Venture South Piedmont. Um, and just the reach between investors and our investors' networks almost I don't want to say guarantees, but certainly assures that at least someone is going to be able to cover the the really deep technical stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and and kind of how I think about it is, if I can speak with a founder for half an hour and I can go and sell the product, then they've got a clear message. If I can't, then we need to do some additional work. Regardless of how complicated the business is, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So the word, the similar thing that I use internally at Venture South is if I can describe what this company does to my partners before we'd start the sort of pipeline screening, then the entrepreneur has done a good job. And right. exactly. I would say a decent minority of the time I can't, even having spent some time trying mm-hmm. to, um, and even not necessarily on deep science and technologically complicated things, but even just on general so that certainly is a um, it certainly is a skill that entrepreneurs mostly don't have or could improve on, um, it, but it is very powerful when they can do it. And and it's a it's a balance because on one hand you don't want dogmatic you know clinging to one idea, um, but you also don't want sort of the every shiny thing is attractive mm-hmm. kind of kind of personality either. You, yeah. you want to balance the two. Got it. So in that first decade, you were. Uh, starting the angel investing activity, and then you really ramped it up in the last decade. Correct. Um, uh, have you? Can you like talk about how you think the evolution of the angel investing world in the southeast has changed over those two decades? In terms of fundamental investing theses, it's been pretty consistent, as well as sort of the sophistication around due diligence. I think the major change has really been in the market in terms of the capital markets that are looking to to place um, capital in startup companies. Um, Both sort of the angel world has become a little bit more efficient, um, as well as our relationship with later stage investors. Um, You know, we've seen micro VCs become a a pretty significant part of our co-investing group, um, which Originally, that would have been unheard of. Um, so, you know, as an angel group, we're starting to invest in larger and larger deals that sort of fall outside the angel, the typical angel investing size. And then we've got VCs that are sort of poking their heads 
into earlier and earlier stage deals. So it, it's just getting a lot more fluid. Got it. Um, interesting that the fundamental thesis is still the same. So in your opinion, what is that fundamental thesis for early stage mm-hmm. investing in the Southeast? It, it's have a product that works and solve a problem. Okay, got it. It, it, needs to, it needs to be both, right? It has to work. And fortunately, that hasn't really changed a lot in terms of yeah. it's relatively easy to, to assess whether this is a research product project or a you know production ready kind of, of technology. Um, and then solving a problem is again a skill that hasn't really changed. Um, perhaps you know marketing techniques have certainly changed. You know the social media and and more complex online advertising certainly has a, a has an impact. Um, but again, we kind of come back to that fundamental, you're selling a solution, not a technology. Okay, got it. So yeah, that's a fundamental thesis, regardless of where you are and mm-hmm. what you're doing, really. Any, exactly. uh, any early stage investor wants to, to focus on that. Okay, got it. Um, it's not everybody that I speak to, though, that accidentally became a manager of an angel group. Um, I'm not saying you accidentally did it, but how did you become an, how did you become so more sort of significantly involved with a local angel group uh, in the in the more recent decade some of it i think has to do with just enjoying expanding sort of your horizons um you know as an angel investor you you come with a certain expectation about time commitment as well as sort of the depth that you're going to be involved in it um and when i found that i enjoyed i don't want to say the administrative side but sort of the more complete cycle from all the way from screening to to actually managing and monitoring uh, a deal. Whereas as as an angel investor, you certainly have the option of being involved in those steps. Um, But a lot of angel investors are pretty much just sort of show me the due diligence, I'll make a yes or no decision, and that's kind of the end of it. Um, And so when I kept asking questions about what happens before and what happens after, um, I, I, I just learned the hard way. Yeah, right. The answer is if you want to know, you have to get involved and go right. do it. <laughs> exactly, go do it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, neat. So how long did you do that for and um, and, and did it live up to your expectations? It, it did. Um, I would say, I guess 2011, I, I, I kind of began as part of the, the management team. Um, and that went through to about 2015. And then there, were, there was a short pause and then we brought Venture South Piedmont online. Um, I, I think it's been fantastic. It's it's quite a change from fund management to to the venture south model. Um, you know, the the original Piedmont Angel Network model was it was fund first and then a network of of add-on investments, and that creates a little bit of a moral hazard where no one really takes responsibility up front it, to to the same extent as a venture south model, which is the exact opposite where we start with 10, minimum 10 investors who are, who are willing to actually write checks. And then the, the, the fund will come on as, as almost like a force multiplier. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that creates a little bit better alignment of incentives. Um, it, you know, it's shades of difference, but it's it's really interesting. And, and maybe it's just an outgrowth of, of maybe being with a familiar group of investors for so long um, that, we kind of already knew what voting would be like when we just just because we knew the the group so well. Um, 
Yeah, I don't, we might want to cut yeah. that part. <laughs> we can't cut anything out, mate. Like, it's, <laughs> it's all <laughs> it's all laid bare on this podcast. Um, you, you're right, though. I mean, there are pros and cons to every model. N- none of them is perfect. Uh, obviously, the advantage of having a fund first is an entrepreneur knows exactly how much money this entity can put in if they like it. Whereas on the venture south side, that's a bit more unknown until we've been through our process. On the other hand, we don't have to worry about votes so much. We don't have to worry about quorums. You know, people show up, they put the money in the hat. If they don't show up, they don't show up. It's not, you know, it's a lot easier to administer. Um, but yeah, um, I think there are definitely advantages and disadvantages to both kinds. And it's good that there are varieties in the market too. Different, yep. different yeah. structures fit different on investors and different entrepreneurs. And Absolutely. You've got to find the investor entrepreneur fit that, that makes the most sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's all the history of how you got here. So what has been your most favorite piece of angel investing so far, if you have one? It's, um, it's hard to, to single one particular investment or, or even time frame. Um, but I will say um, that right after the global financial crisis was a particular particularly interesting time to invest. Um, and, and it, you know, certainly there was an impact on valuations, but more importantly, there were a ton of really experienced entrepreneurs and, and even corporate executives who had just thrown their hands up and said, you know what, this is so bad that I'm going to go do it myself better. Hmm. Um, and so there was, a, there was a different ethos almost of, you know, we're, we're going to have a business and that's great, but this is a real problem and, and I've had to deal with it and I know how to solve it and everyone knows how it should be solved, but nobody seems to be doing it. So now's the time to go strike out on my own. Um, I thought that was a particularly interesting shift. Who knows? It, it It's always the case to some extent. It just seemed to be a higher proportion at that time. Venture in the South is brought to you by the Rolling South Fund, a rolling fund focused on Southern startups. The fund allows for quarterly investments with a minimum of just $5,000. For more information, visit rollingsouth.vc. Welcome back to Venture in the South. I'm here with Malay, uh, who's sharing with us his experience. And now I think we'll move on to your expectations for what happens next, Malay. You do have a, an unusual uh, you know, length of experience through various cycles of age investing. So what do you think happens in the next five years in, in the Southeast and early stage investing world? You know, there's been so much attention on the, the quote unquote flyover states. Um, and, and I consider the Southeast in, to some extent, it would fit under that category of historically underserved in terms of, of capital availability. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're, we're certainly seeing a lot of funds that we would never have seen even return our calls suddenly want to be involved in our deals. And so, um, you know, the, up until last year, I would almost say I, I had a real concern that Tiger Global and, and um, oh gosh, what's the other one? SoftBank. Mm-hmm. we're going to actually change the angel investing scene forever, that valuations would never go down, that due diligence would become almost a commodity slash algorithmic. Yeah. 
and the or last, just not done at all, or not, yeah, just <laughs> right, just throwing yeah. darts at a board, um, and and thankfully that did not occur. Um, the last six months have shown us that there's a reason that this is a well-established model. Okay, so uh, you you would probably posit more more capital continuing to come into the field, continuing mm-hmm. discipline. Um, using you know the models that we've got in the past as a basis um do you think you and there's obviously a lot of people moving to the southeast bringing influences in terms of skills and talent and early stage investing expertise here which i think is a somewhat new phenomenon um or maybe more more prominent phenomenon than it used to be um do you see any changes in the kinds of things that entrepreneurs are doing in the southeast by industry or level of ambition or, or anything like that? Well, it, it's, it's hard. I, I, I'm not sure I could give a good answer, mostly because to, to, to some extent, the fundamentals haven't changed. The environment has changed a little bit. Um, you know, we're, IPO activity hasn't significantly changed. I mean, it goes up and down every year. But fundamentally, the number of unicorns coming out of the Southeast is pretty stable at, you know, two or three, maybe as many as five or six a year. Um, and that's sort of the, the ideal exit. The more companies you invest in hoping to reach that goal, the lower your chances are of actually reaching that goal, assuming okay. there's a fixed number of, of super positive exits. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that's how it works or not, but sometimes it certainly feels that way. Yeah, right. So is your general investment philosophy to do fewer bets in the things you're more more comfortable with, or are you still aiming at the diversification kind of sort of Mm -hmm. market common wisdom level of diversification? Absolutely on the diversification, um, but I am becoming more and more disciplined about follow-on rounds. Okay. Uh, Primarily, if it's, you know, both stories that we hear for for follow-on rounds are good and bad. You know, either things are going really well and we need additional fuel. Well, the whole idea was to have a self-sufficient business that can fund itself or that customers can fund future Mm -hmm. development. So, you know, that's, um, you know, I understand the, the desire for additional funding, but sometimes it feels like funding for the sake of funding. Um, almost, almost as if it's a, a badge of honor, how much you've raised versus how mm-hmm. much value you've created. Yeah. Um, and then on the flip side, um, you know, failing fast isn't necessarily a bad outcome either. Um, you know, that I certainly have a number of zombie companies in my portfolio that I wish would just at least <laughs> achieve some degree of resolution. Yeah. Um, and. Does that mean that I should continue or that we should continue funding bridge round after bridge round? Probably not. Um, so, I, you know, both arguments for follow on rounds can go both ways. Um, and I'm finding maybe I'm just getting more and more jaded. Um, Could be. There's a there's a fair amount of, of evidence suggesting that that follow on rounds in general achieve lower returns. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. As with all the literature, you have to take it with a grain of salt. 
Yeah, uh, we should probably do a separate episode on follow-on round strategy because there's a lot of argument mm-hmm. you can make both ways. Um, exactly. And people have some strong opinions about it too. Um, so <laughs> that, would, that would be an interesting subject. So when you say be more disciplined about it, you actually mean do fewer follow-on rounds. Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It, would, well, it needs to be an exceptional, almost it, it needs to be a, a fundamental reimagining that clearly requires extra capital. So if it's a pivot, that makes sense, or even better, a pivot that has been requested by so many clients, you can't ignore it. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of follow-on round that gets me excited. Okay, interesting. Well, that's a really good learning. Um, so we will definitely find a way to explore that in more detail in a in a future session. So you mentioned at the beginning that the deep science and something that's technologically a little bit more complicated appeals to you intellectually mm-hmm. and because it can have maybe the biggest impact. I think over the last few years, you've become also, though, pretty engaged in a couple of uh, of industries that are n- maybe maybe not that, but sort of, well, maybe they are that, um, but in the sort of crypto and NFT and blockchain spaces, that seems to be something that you share a lot of insight with the rest of our members about. Um, why is, is that consistent or why is that the evolution of how that's gone for you? Well, thank you for the compliment. Um, and, and yes, I, I would fit crypto as sort of the fundamental basic science general type of thesis in that the mathematics are what's most appealing to me, but sort of in line with my earlier um, comment, it's very possibly going to be the foundation of a new way of people working together, a new way for people to work together. Mm-hmm. And where incentives are not only aligned, but they're obvious. They're public. Um, you know, and so our intrinsic and extrinsic motivations need to be, and, and crypto to some extent guarantees that they are aligned. Um, we'll see in the long run whether or not that's a good idea or not. It's sort of like the you know, open salaries. Is, is that a good idea or not? Every 10 years or so, everyone thinks that, oh yeah, we got to do this. And then nothing ever happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So hmm. okay. I, I so I I I can see how that deep science, this deep math, the impact is similar in terms of fundamentally changing how things go. Um, would you say you are, are becoming more excited about those kinds of investments now, or has the ship already sailed on those? In your opinion, or what? Uh, it's really interesting that that sort of the prevailing wisdom, let's say as recently as last summer, um, was that once institutions enter the space, everything will blow up and it'll be fantastic. There will be a huge flow of of cash that will create value for everyone to share in. Today, the, the, the sentiment seems to be, wow, well, when institutions come in, they basically take all of the inefficiencies out of the market and it's no fun to play anymore. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and so I, I i think it's a little bit of both um what, what what i have observed is in that pure cryptocurrency that's being traded just for the sake of trading if you've got a trading desk that trades oil or or any commodity for that matter you have the skill set to come in and and do the exact same thing with crypto and so that type of investing has a lot less appeal. Uh, to me, I think the, the, the DeFi, the, um, the NFTs, 
especially NFTs that are that that have fundamental utility embedded in them. I think that's really interesting. It's <clears throat> completely underexplored. Um, and if if it's done right, it may be totally invisible to the end user, which would be ideal where you've got the right fundamental underpinning, mm. but you still have an easy to use interface. Got it. Thanks, Monet. Uh, very much appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today and for sharing some of the lessons you've learned over two decades of angel investing. And I hope the next decade is also intellectually stimulating and financially rewarding, and we can keep doing this together for a while to come. I, I plan on doing that. That should, That's our plan. So thanks, Paul. This podcast is supported by Venture Carolina, an educational nonprofit focused on angel investors and entrepreneurs. Our team is built from successful entrepreneurs, investors, venture capitalists, board members, and executives that want to give back. Thank you for listening. Please consider subscribing and leaving us a review. Visit us at ventureinthesouth.com for a complete list of previous and future shows and contact us if you have any comments or a request.